Hello and welcome to the Training for Influence podcast, brought to you by me, Tammy Banks, Director of Tay Training and founder of the Training for Influence method. But it's not just me who you'll be hearing from. I'll be joined by a selection of our expert facilitators, as well as sector colleagues and fellow organisations, all in an effort to provide important learnings for key workers, people on the front line who are new, potentially inexperienced, volunteering, possibly agency workers, or perhaps returning to work, previously retired professionals. This podcast is not a replacement for training. It aims to highlight important topics to act as an introductory resource for those delivering services under these unprecedented circumstances. We asked our facilitators to select five top takeaways from a course they deliver. Takeaways the delegates have fed back that are really key or they as a facilitator think are fundamental to the session. Today we're thrilled to welcome James McCarthy. James has been a TAFE facilitator since near enough the very beginning, being one of the first people that we recruited. James delivers managing challenging behaviour, risk management and assessment, leadership and management, a variety of our safeguarding courses, working with people with the potentially to sexually harm and working effectively with young people. Welcome, James. Hiya, you all right? Thank you for coming today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So, James, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about the job you do now and your connected experience that enables you to deliver such a multitude of courses for us at Tay? So, currently, I'm working for a local authority as a youth work manager, delivering a variety of interventions to young people across Leeds. Historically, I've worked for homeless services, managed hostels. Most recently, before my current job, I was an operations director and a worker for a charity that worked with those at risk of and those that were convicted of sexual harmful behaviours. Like you mentioned earlier, it's been four or five years, maybe since 2016-ish, delivering training for TIR as well. Thanks, James. I think it'd be really clear to our listeners why you deliver so many different courses for us as an operational expert, both within statutory services and charities. Yeah, I was just going to say, I just like chatting and talking to people about what I enjoy doing, really, and hoping, you know, supporting people to learn more about it. Fantastic. So, James, we've invited you here today specifically to talk about managing challenge and behaviour. And within all of your roles, there's always been an element of needing to manage challenging behaviour effectively, from working with young people to those experiencing mental health difficulties and complex needs and people convicted of offences. Yeah. Now, you've delivered this course probably hundreds of times now to a variety of different customers. So I appreciate asking you to pick five learning points. It <laughs> might have been difficult. How did you find it? It was interesting. It was, it was difficult at first, but then once I got into the rhythm of doing it, it was quite easy to pick them out, to be honest, because the, the ones that I've selected, whilst prominent through each and every course, they're different in each and every course because it's so, so specific to the individuals that are sat in the room on the day. Yeah, and I think that's really key, isn't it? You've just covered one of our core principles there about tailoring the course and giving a really good example of why actually tailoring the course makes such a big difference and why it's so important. Because one course can be relevant to so many different people, but actually for their customer group, they might need it presented in a different way or different examples given. Yeah, definitely. I think that with a number of courses we deliver, for example, the safeguarding or even the risk management ones that I do as well, I think that what I, what I certainly like to see is where the learners come away thinking, 
oh, I didn't expect to learn about that today. Or I didn't expect to talk about that or to hit that point. That's why I like doing it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started then. Let's talk about your learning points. What did you choose for learning point one? Okay, so learning point one is to create an environment where learners can recognise their own frame of reference and then begin to think about the impact that that can have on their practice. Ah, that's an interesting one. You talked a moment ago about creating environment within the training session, but what do you mean specifically about their frame of reference with regards to managing challenging behaviour? Okay, so just very briefly, your frame of reference is everything that underpins who you are. And that can be from looking at maybe a trauma or a trauma-based approach to just how much sleep you had last night. Okay, everything is covered in our frame of reference. And why I like talking about this specifically at the beginning of the course is that the learners attend and they initially think they're going to spend the whole day talking about those who are displaying challenging behaviours, and rightly so. But before we can even begin to scratch the surface on that, we need to think about our own frame of reference, how we're feeling, how we perceive challenging behaviour, what challenges us, what we're good at, what we're not so confident with, before we can even, like I said, begin to touch upon developing a skill set of how to manage challenging behaviours. Ah, so you mean getting people to look at themselves and how their behaviours also influence how they're feeling and how they might respond to the people around them, who they're working with and who they're supporting on any given day. Absolutely, 100%. So if you were to do this with, and I've done it kind of begin to think how many times I've done it with young people in particular, you do with the exact same piece of work, but we just refer to it as window of their world. So it's everything that defines how they think, how they see, what their perceptions and opinions and thoughts are. And we don't always get the time, would be fair to say, when we're working and everybody's so busy and caseloads are high, demands are high. We don't always get the time to think, okay, so why, why do we do this? And it's certainly not, I'm not saying that we're going to figure that out in the session because that's a separate journey altogether. But it's the starting point in terms of being able to think about how we think and how we view others. Yeah, an absolutely key learning point. But it's really interesting because what we've found when we've been doing these podcasts is that some of our facilitators have picked similar learning points. And that goes back to the methodology we use from Training for Influence. We've picked things like emotional resilience and their frame of reference and their values Specifically because actually if you're working with people who have complex needs, vulnerabilities, they might be marginalised across different sectors, actually these are key themes that we like to see in all of our sessions and then related differently to different objectives. And it's actually core as well to why we exist and why we do what we do. When I was doing my TED talk, I talked a lot about my invisible suitcase and I talked about how I've gone through my life with what I see as an invisible suitcase and different points in my life things have gone into that suitcase and it might be activities that I've undertaken, people that I've met, education and learning, could be absolutely anything that's filling this invisible suitcase but then it's absolutely influencing the way that I see the world and the way that I interact within the world and so it sounds like you're talking about the same thing really. It's exactly the same. Window of your world, frame of reference, invisible suitcase, it's, it's exactly the same and like I said, we don't often get time to kind of take a step back and think about how that truly affects us for, for, for better or for worse. 
And how can it affect us with regards to managing challenging behaviour? In in so many ways. For example, our frame of reference can impact us just in terms of maybe how our day is going in general. If we've had to deal with challenging behaviour at half past nine, half past ten, twelve o'clock, one o'clock, chances are by the time we get to the four o'clock, we're going to be pretty tired and burnt out almost. So is our resistance, our emotional resilience going to be a little bit less? Are we going to give the same amount of time to a client? And I think what we do on the course is create an environment where learners are comfortable in being honest. So I think I've got some examples that we'll talk about later on in terms of learners being honest with themselves as well. Yeah, that's such an important learning point, as we all have stuff going on in our own life all the time. Equally, we have biases, we respond differently depending on how our day's going or the situations that we're in, in different circumstances. So I can see how bringing that up right at the beginning of the course encourages honesty and growth throughout the session. Thank you, James. So what did you pick for your learning point two? Okay, so we began, learning point one was all about acknowledging behaviour within ourselves and what underpins that. Learning point two is acknowledging the reasons behind the challenging behaviours that the client or service user is displaying and ultimately what impact that has upon them. So the consequences of that behaviour. This is really interesting, James, because straight away you've started with two learning points that aren't specifically about the person displaying the behaviour. Yeah, it's how we perceive it, how we perceive that behaviour and what's what's behind it. So until we figure out what's behind ours and what's behind theirs, the skill set doesn't really come into it. Okay, then. So talk to me a little bit more about what could be behind their behaviour. Okay, so we break it down into a number of factors. We get learners to list medical reasons, psychiatric reasons and environmental reasons why somebody may be displaying certain types of challenging behaviour. We also use a model called Crucial Conversations, which always gets people speaking. And what that does is it talks about high stakes and high emotions and how a lot of the conversations that we're going to be having with our clients and service users can be crucial conversations. So how that's broken down is you've got a high emotion, such as anger, and then you've got high stake. That could be literally being homeless that very night. So somebody's coming in, in a particular mindset where they're angry because they want somebody somewhere to stay that night and they're concerned, worried and all the feelings that I'm sure go along with that. Third side of the triangle is opposing opinion and that's not us arguing back or being deflective, it's just offering another alternative by saying, look, you may need to do this, you need to sign up to this, you need to fill in this form, you need to go here. It's not an opposing opinion in terms of being against the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions of the client, but it's just a different point of view. Those three things create a cocktail of those crucial conversations. So when you're in a crucial conversation, that's when your fight and flight kicks in. Thanks, James. That was a really excellent explanation of something that's usually quite visual. Because I know on the course, the Crucial Conversations is literally a bright red triangle with high emotions on one side, high stakes on the other, both coming from the client's perspective. And then those opposing opinions from the staff member or volunteer working with the client. 
And it's interesting to recognise that actually if you have a client coming into a situation and they've already got those high emotions and those high stakes, understanding how that triangle works can actually help you decide how you're going to respond within that situation or how you're going to discuss the subject matter that you really need to discuss or the instant that you need to explore. Realising that it is part of that potential boiling point is really important and really key there. Definitely, absolutely, completely agree. So James, tell us then, what is your learning point number three? Okay, so learning point three is something taken directly from the Managing Challenging Behaviour course, and it's it's a toolkit. We provide a toolkit on the course. The key message is don't overcomplicate what you may perceive as the basics. So we talk about active listening with the learners. We talk about non-judgmental approach. We talk about open and closed questions. And what we do is we strip all the techniques right back and start fresh, really, in terms of what makes us good at them, how we've been able to learn more about them, and what are the challenges in reality to those basics that underpin our practice, and how can we then make it a better experience for those accessing our services? Yeah, that's so important, talking about those basics and recognising the skills that we already have. Because if we go back to those crucial conversations that we're talking about, then it's really important that we can really understand our role within it and then have those techniques and those skills to be able to manage that situation. Definitely. And that's one of the things that I love about the course. Sounds strange to say this about the course, but there's no earth shattering new piece of information that the learners are getting. We're just putting it across in a contemporary and different way that helps them take it on board, really, and reflect on their own practice. The course follows case studies all the way through. So you choose the examples and the techniques depending on who the delegates are and who their service user is and then bring it alive all the way through so that it can connect really effectively to the techniques. Definitely. And it also creates a space where the learners can talk about times when, do you know what, their active listening wasn't that great. And they did have some preconceived judgments, perhaps after reading a referral form on a system, or maybe some questions were a little bit less open at half past four on a Friday afternoon. Things like that, you know, the reality of the world that we live in and the people that we work with. Yeah, fantastic, James. So what about your learning point number four? Okay, so learning point number four is all about the escalation curve. The escalation curve underpins the second part of the course, really, the second part of the day for the learners, and it highlights a period of escalation, really, in terms of somebody's behaviour. And that can be something very physical, vocal, loud, or it could be just complete disengagement. It breaks down the different stages, beginning at stage one, calm, and finishing at stage seven, recovery, and highlighting to the learners that that's where the real work's done. We've all been in that situation where everybody's thought, could I have done more in that situation? We try to reassure the participants on the course that sometimes just being there is enough and enabling the young person or whatever client it may be to get back down to stage one or get back down to stage seven and be in that recovery mindset where the real important work and reflection can take place. I can actually remember the escalation curve being quite groundbreaking to me when I first heard about it. I remember looking at the curve and thinking that it kind of explains at each stage how a person might be feeling and the behaviours that would be associated with that. But I love the way that you explain it to the group and you talk about which points within the curve are safe to interject and then you explore the techniques that you could use at different points within the curve. 
visually that's really powerful and I really remember reflecting on some of the different service users that I've worked with over time and the way that I've responded in some of those situations and the different relationships that I've had with some of those service users that have also informed my response depending on their age and their complexities as well but it's interesting isn't it because you can also relate the escalation curve to your own personal relationships and it kind of helps you understand how escalation works and you can relate it to the most complex of situations. Absolutely. So it has really helped me in my time just having that understanding and sometimes it's actually helped me not only know when to interject but to kind of assess my relationships and know when to step away from a situation as well. Yeah, and that's what we talk about on the course. It's about the right time to intervene. So you've got stage one through seven, you've got calm, trigger, agitation, acceleration, the actual peak of the behaviour, a phase of the escalation and then recovery. And it's about identifying which intervention, which level of support or what learners can do at what time. Yeah, and thinking and considering within that as well, your relationship with the individual. Yeah. Because that'll make quite a difference to when it's safe for you to intervene and how you intervene. We talk a lot about behaviour support planning when we're referring to the escalation curve in particular. The majority of courses that we deliver and the majority of times we deliver the managing challenging behaviour, pretty much all the learners on the course have done a support plan at some point, but not many have done a behaviour support plan. And the key difference is that a behaviour support plan is specifically on one behaviour or a particular event that's going to arise and really breaking down what can be done both from the perspective of the worker and the client. Yeah, because if I remember rightly, isn't the behaviour support plan done in partnership with the client? Yeah. So they own it more, it's theirs, and you're asking them about what behaviours do they really want help managing in the future? Absolutely. And you're asking this at a time when they're calm so that when their behaviour is challenging and potentially destructive or dangerous, you're responding in a way that you've spoken to them about. And they know within the challenging time that you've agreed something with them. They know how you're going to respond. And it's very much about working with them and empowering them from that values based perspective, but whilst also being clear about what is acceptable behaviour and what isn't. Definitely. A behaviour support plan it's a complete team effort between the client and the worker. One of the questions on there is literally split into four. What can I do when this situation arises? What do you want me to do in that situation? How should I react to you? Just giving them that sense of ownership, it acknowledges on the plan, look, this might happen. Let's not shy away from it. So when it does, what do we need to do to limit the impact? exactly what are the tools and techniques that work for you because it's quite an amazing moment when you have someone sat opposite you and they say to you you know I know that I struggle with different behaviors at the moment with my anger or with disengaging and I know that alcohol or certain situations or certain people really trigger things for me I know that and I recognize it And when you're having that conversation with them at a really calm time, you can really support them. Mm -hmm. And you can say really clearly, these are the service rules and expectations that you're going to need to operate within. And ultimately, we want to be able to safely support you within them. The behaviour support plan can ensure that you're helping them to meet those expectations within a really positive, empowered way. Definitely. And I've had some people just say to me on their behaviour support plan, you know, just 
remind me in that time of distress or when my behaviour is challenging that we've done a behaviour support plan and that'll be enough. But then I've had other people ask specifically to, you know, speak to a certain member of staff or say that different things work for them. It's all about the individual, isn't it? And about that ownership in a time specifically when they might feel out of control and they're struggling to maintain their behaviours. Yeah, I completely agree. The key word that you mentioned there is ownership. It just empowers the client to be in a position where they're not only acknowledging their behaviour, but embracing it. Because until they embrace it, you can't change it. You know, we talked earlier on about how we react in certain ways and need to understand our behaviours. And that's difficult enough as it is. Whereas to support our clients, they may struggle to reflect on the level that we're able to do. To provide the opportunity to do that can be really empowering. And as well, it's a skill that we all need in life, the ability to manage our behaviours. So for people with complex lives, one of our roles as a professional is to empower them and to help them practice this skill as well. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things I really like about the behaviour support plan as well, though, is that as a professional, it really helps us to use our policies and processes as a safety net. Because we can set these out for the service user at the behaviour support plan time and we can tell them up front what the expectations are and how things work within the service and what the thresholds are. So when are we going to need to call for assistance, press our alarm, ask somebody to help us? How are the way that we respond to different situations? And although that doesn't necessarily avoid us having to respond or to call for assistance in different circumstances, The service user is informed at all points. And sometimes one of the most difficult things as a professional is when you have built a relationship with a service user and you know that their behaviour is going to have a real negative impact on the services that you can offer. And you can respond within those organisational processes, but from a really empowered perspective and giving them the absolute best chance and every opportunity to modify that behaviour and to manage their emotions and respond differently. It's just about giving them, I guess, every chance possible to de-escalate positively in that way. Absolutely, yeah. The feedback on the course, you know, when we ask learners what their the biggest takeaway from the session is, is often the behaviour support planning. And I think that's because we start the day asking them to think about themselves They're able to identify how powerful that can be and what the behaviour support plan does is it gives them an opportunity to do the same for their clients. Because it's not that we won't ask our colleagues for help or call for emergency services if needed, but it's about being able to recognise when the most appropriate time is to do this. Yeah. And sometimes we'll be faced with a behaviour that's an immediate risk and takes us to needing to respond in that way. But other times, we'll have time to assess within the escalation curve and respond differently. Definitely. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because the escalation curve that you talked about and the seven steps you explained, those seven steps can be over within a minute and relate to all types of behaviour that might be challenging. But equally, the steps can cover five hours or more. Absolutely. And that's what we highlight on the presentation when we deliver it. On the left continuum of the curve, you've got intensity, so how extreme that behaviour it is, whether they're completely calm, whether they're agitated, for example. And on the other continuum, you've got time, how long it takes. And it can literally be, like you said, minutes, seconds, hours, days, weeks. You know, we've seen it before. Yeah, absolutely. Now, James, I've really loved this learning point, but to the extent that I've forgotten what learning point we're on, 
So which one comes next? Let's have a look. You've done the same to me. So we're on the last one. That was number four. So yeah, we're on to the fifth now. Fantastic. But to be fair, we probably got lost in number four because the escalation curve is kind of a theme all the way through the course. You connect techniques and the case studies to it. So it's kind of like a golden thread. Definitely. So learning point looked like what we were just talking then, number four, the behaviour support plan, the escalation curve. And to be honest, the majority of the course, it's an opportunity for the learners to, to really take away what fits for them because it would be naive of us to speak at the very beginning of the day, like we mentioned in the first learning point, to recognise that everybody's so different and then in the next breath have everybody take away the same things. Many elements of the course complement one another, I think. Absolutely. So do tell us then, don't keep us waiting, what's your learning point number five? You're going to know this already because, to be honest, I know that I'm the, obviously the lead facilitator for managing challenging behaviour, but you could have asked me to talk about any course today, it'd have been the same, it'd have been your own emotional resilience, what you do to look after number one, to be honest. You know what, James, what's great about this is that anyone who's listening that has subscribed to our podcast, and if you haven't, why not? But anybody who has subscribed to the podcast will be hearing this constantly, as at the end of the podcast, it's my thank you. But also, so many of our facilitators on other episodes have said exactly the same as their learning point five, because it really is so, so important. I guess because you guys as facilitators are operational experts too, you really recognise and understand why it's so important. I just think that when working with people in any setting, this is relevant, but particularly if you're working with individuals that are displaying various types of challenging behaviour, it's so easy to find yourself absorbing it throughout an experience of challenging behaviour, throughout the course of a shift, throughout the course of a working week. I personally feel like, and I love hearing why people do this job and do the various jobs of the people that we train. But there's not many people that have ended up in it just by chance or it's been a complete fluke. There's a reason. They've got some kind of why. They've got some kind of frame of reference that we talked about earlier as why they're doing this job. And because of that, you give more of yourself to the role, I think. And as much as the vast majority of the time, that is an incredibly positive thing to do. It also makes us more open and at risk ourselves of burning out, of taking on too much as well and absorbing the the challenges, the pains, the frustrations, the upset of the clients that we work with. Yeah. Yeah, James, you're absolutely right there. So what do you do? What are your top tips for looking after yourself and building emotional resilience? Uh, Yeah, I love working out. I knew you were going to say that. I love it. I love particular type of workout programs that I do. It's when I'm doing that, I need need to focus on that. So I can't be thinking about anything else. Otherwise, I end up injuring myself or something daft like that. It's just a time where I know that that's my time. That's what I'm thinking about and nothing else. No, sorry. I think I'm going to go back to podcast two or three, the Safeguarding Alerter one which Becky did, and she brought this up as her learning point five, and she talked about baking cakes. So I think I'm on Becky's team rather than yours for this one. <laughs> so I work out so I can have the cakes, don't get me wrong. I'll have, I'll have, a, have a cake or two after the session. The bridge is full of cake at the moment. But uh, I genuinely have noticed a difference since I've had the dog as well. So I've had a dog now a year and a half. So no matter what, I have a responsibility to take that dog out for at least two hour long walks a day. It's just a great time to switch off. 
Yeah, perfect time to listen to podcasts. And again, that's why I got a chihuahua, because she's um, happy with two 10-minute walks. <laughs> jealous. jealous. Uh, thank you, James. I've really enjoyed talking to you today and appreciate the time you've given to record this podcast. I think our listeners will have really benefited from your reflections on the Managing Challenging Behaviour course. Is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners before we sign off? I hope it's come across that, and I know I can jump from one point to another, but I enjoy talking about what I do. And I think that that is something that is key for all the courses delivered by TAFE, to be honest. And that's why you've got the operational individuals that you do as part of the team. And like I said, I've delivered well over 100 courses now over recent years. I know many others have too. I've sat in shadowed courses and I think that's that's a common theme isn't it throughout that the person at the front of the room definitely wants to be there and that's the core of it that's one of the best things to do to facilitate learning I think. Yeah absolutely the facilitators certainly bring that passion and expertise to the sessions. The last thing that I wanted to say about managing challenging behaviour is that if you have chance after listening to this podcast as obviously we've just given you a brief overview if nothing else, though, please do have a look at the escalation curve and behaviour support planning as they're two techniques that can really be transformational and can literally be applied to any customer group in any situation. Thanks so much for listening today. We hope it's been time well spent. I'd like to finish by saying a huge thank you. Whether you're working or volunteering on the front line with vulnerable and or complex people, a manager supporting a team or part of the cogs that keep the wheels of a frontline organisation turning. Truly, thank you. It's only together that we can help people stay safe and prevent harm and abuse. Please don't forget about yourself though. No one, no matter how amazing, can pour from an empty cup. There is a reason emotional resilience features in all our courses, irrelevant of the subject. It's because it matters. You matter. Take care of yourself. If you'd like to know more about me, Tammy Banks, Tay Training, or the Training for Influence methodology, please have a read of the show notes. You can also find us on all social media platforms at Tay Training, or contact me directly via email, tammy at taytraining.org.uk. If you hadn't noticed already, I love to talk. Have a good day. <laughs>